0: You got your Bibles, we are in the book of Hebrews. And for those of you that are maybe new uh, to, to Desert Springs, we've tackled this book. Uh, the book of Hebrews, you often don't hear people preaching out of, especially kind of doing what we're doing, which is uh, taking it kind of uh, passage by passage, because in the book of Hebrews, there are five warning passages and just to be flat out they 're hard they 're hard to you've you, you got a question who is he talking to and and what does it mean and, and what what 's going on there and today we are in that fourth warning passage, and this one this one might be the most severe of them all uh, very strong language and so that's what we're going to look at today so let's read it together I'll read it out loud if you'll follow along we're going to start in verse 26 we'll read down to the end of the chapter for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a terrifying expectation of judgment And the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment. Do you think he will deserve, who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which we were sanctified, and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall ...into the hands of the living God. But remember the former days... ...when, after being enlightened... ...you endured a great conflict of suffering... ...partly by being made a public spectacle... ...through reproaches and tribulations... ...and partly by becoming sharers with those... ...who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners... ...and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property... "...knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come, will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back... My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. So... I want to start today with talking about the warning. I called it the caution here because we get a little alliteration in our main points. But the warning, the first thing that we need to understand is who is he talking to? And to me, it becomes very apparent from the context that he is talking to believers. I mean, you see it right there in verse 26, for if we So the author actually makes himself a part of that. Secondly, when you think back to the immediate context that we've been looking at, so you go back to uh, verse 10 of chapter 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He's talking to believers. You see it again in verse 14. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You see it in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place. These are brethren. This is who he's talking to. Then, remember, uh, when was it? Two weeks ago, what was his challenge. Let us, let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Let us stimulate one another to love and good deeds. He's talking to believers. You see it again down in verse 29. How much more or how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve Who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified so he's tying it right back into what he said in verse 10 and what he said in verse 14 so to me it's it's very apparent now someone said well you know you know you, you after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Well, maybe they just heard the truth. Well, that's not what he said. It says that they received it. It's a very specific word. Secondly, the word that he uses there for knowledge is full knowledge. It wasn't partial knowledge, but full knowledge. They know. The point is, these are believers who now deliberately decide intentionally to, to turn back from Jesus. So for if we go on, it's in the present tense. So the idea is, is a continual action. This isn't like a one-time failure. This isn't like, oh, just a, a point of weakness and, and then there's conviction. This is this intentional, word willfully there, has the idea of being deliberate. That people turn deliberately willfully this is not just haphazard this isn't just oh in a moment of weakness they did this no deliberately are turning now again contextually who's he been talking to he's been talking to believers who got saved out of judaism and they have come to faith in Christ. They have lived by grace. In fact, he even talks about, remember when you first enlightened and how you you went through those times of suffering, these people will walk with the Lord. But they face persecution. They face persecution from the Romans, right? The seizure of the property, he mentions that there. But now they're facing persecution also from their fellow Jews because they have walked away from Judaism. And so what they're planning to do, what they are intentionally doing is, is stepping back, going back under the law. It's this intentional peace. And what he says is that there remains no more sacrifice. Now, that's an interesting thought. No more sacrifice. One of the things that I think the author has in mind here is because, remember, he's been contrasting Christ, the covenant, the new covenant with the old, Christ with the new high priest with the old high priest, the the new sacrifice of Christ's blood with the old sacrifices, right? That's, That's where he's been. One of the things that sometimes you and I forget because we don't live under the Old Testament law is that the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the the sin offerings, the peace offerings, the, even the atonement offerings, were only for sins that were done unintentionally. You go back to to, to Numbers, uh, verse fit, or chapter fifteen. He says this: "You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally." Right, that moment of weakness, uh, maybe ignorance. For him who is native among the sons of Israel and for the alien who sojourns among them. But the person who does anything defiantly, whether he is native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord. That person shall be cut off from among his people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord, has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt will be on him. Maybe let me explain it like this. You remember that when they went into the land of Israel, they set up six cities as, as places of refuge. So if somebody murdered someone or killed someone unintentionally, they would go there. And when they went there, they would be put on trial. And if it was if it was unintentional, right? He uses the picture of swinging an ax and the ax head comes off, hits somebody in the head, they're dead, right? It wasn't premeditated. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't an act that they had, they decided to go and do. They, they would be protected and they would be protected in that city of refuge and their sin would be forgiven. And when the high priest died, then they would be free to go home. But when they, when, when they figured it out, and the person actually did premeditate this, right? This was an act of their will. They were to be put to death. There was nothing that they could do. No sacrifice that they could make. And I think that what he's talking about here is this premeditated decision of the will to walk in defiance, to pull back from the Lord, to walk in willful disobedience and willful rebellion. Can I remind you what I was just uh, reading in Numbers last night. It's probably why it popped into my mind. Do you remember when Samuel looked at Saul? When Saul had gone to fight the Amalekites and he was supposed to kill everybody and everything and yet he brought brought back all the the, the sheep and the goats because Saul was a farmer. Well, I'm going to do it for sacrifice. Remember what Samuel said to him? Rebellion. Is like the sin of witchcraft. For everyone who sins willfully. Right. This also, it echoes the other warning passages. So if you go back to chapter what? Chapter two where the first one is. He says, for this reason, verse one, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There's an intentionality there that was going to bring judgment. You see it in the second one, in chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Again, that idea of intentionality. You see it in chapter 6, that third warning. For in the case of those who have been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God, the powers that need to come, if they fall away... It is impossible to renew them to repentance, and so I think what we see here is this continuation—the warnings to believers, and this warning about turning away from Jesus to to no longer follow Him. And his point here is that there remains no more sacrifice. Is that this type of rebellion? leads to a broken relationship with God. So, on the one hand, positionally, they have been sanctified, right? Verse 29 and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And by sanctified, you got to go back to how we used the, the term earlier. Verse 10, we've been sanctified through the offering of the blood, body of Jesus once and for all. Verse 14, for he is by one offering he is perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So positionally, a believer has position with Christ But now when they walk in rebellion, when they walk intentionally, again, not momentarily, not just a point of weakness, not just a point of where they've stumbled, but now intentional rebellion, his point is there's no way for them to have relationship with God. There's no sacrifice left for their sin because, you know, other than the blood of Christ, what's going to fix you anyway? And he's not talking about positionally, that's already been taken care of. What he's talking about is the practical. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter, and Peter says, no, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And so Peter, wanting to make amends, well, Lord, don't just wash my feet, but wash my head and wash my hands, right? Jesus says, no, 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 you're clean. You've already been washed, you have no need for me to wash your head and your hands. All you need is the feet, because that's the daily, right? It's that daily stuff in our life that gets in the way of our relationship with God. We're His children; we belong to Him. But it's that daily sin, because God is holy. God is just; He can't fellowship. And so, there needs to be that daily cleansing that we provide. It find a relationship. I think this is. A- What John is talking about in 1 John, again, 1 John is written to Christians and it's about how do we have ongoing fellowship with God. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Why? Because God is light. In Him there is no darkness. And so if you're going to walk in darkness, you're not going to have fellowship with Him. But... If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have the, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. That's the daily cleansing. He's not, again, he's talking to Christians here who have already been positionally forgiven and sanctified, but this is that ongoing fellowship. It's when we come with that humble heart, and we're walking in the light, and we confess. In fact, two verses later, what is it? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. He's talking to Christians. That's the daily fellowship. When you and I come to that point where we deliberately decide to walk in rebellion to God, there's nothing that can fix this relationship in the hardness of that heart. Because the only thing that is there is the blood of Christ. That's the thing that we're rejecting right now. And so with this warning comes these incredible consequences. On the one hand, there's no way you're going to have relationship with the Father now, fellowship with the Father, because you've rejected the blood of Christ. The consequences as a believer to choose to walk in rebellion, open, defiant rebellion, are huge. Now, I would argue with you that this is one of the things that for many Christians, they begin, get really uncomfortable with. Because we talk, and it's true, right? We're sanctified. We are, our position is that we are a child of God and that we are loved, and that's all true. But I think that points where the rub comes is that we build this picture without a full understanding, not only of God's love, but God's justice, God's holiness. He can't fellowship with sin, right? That's why we got kicked out of the garden. And through Jesus, that was taken care of positionally. But on a daily basis that sin still gets in the way. It still creates a problem. That's why this ongoing cleansing, this ongoing walking in the grace that God has provided is so important. And without that, the consequences are are enormous. In fact, his whole point here is, we really should be expecting even a greater, more severe punishment for those who know Jesus, for those who have touched his grace, for those who have experienced his salvation, who now choose to walk in rebellion. And he gives, he, and he gives us why. He says, so there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but you know what remains? A terrifying expectation of judgment. And he quotes here from Isaiah chapter 26. Then he gives the example in in the Old Testament. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy. And now he even explains, so how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who is trampled underfoot the Son of God? That, that, That idea of trampling means to disdain it that there's no respect there's no sense that 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 Jesus the son of God came came and he died for us he he talks about here and to regard as unclean the blood of the covenant now again think about contextually what has he been talking about since chapter 7 that Jesus is a far greater high priest of a far greater covenant of a far greater tabernacle with far greater sacrifice better blood He is the ultimate Savior. And now we're going to treat that as not important. Though it has saved us, though it has impacted us, we're just going to go do our own thing. We're going to live in rebellion. Um he then says this and we've insulted the spirit of grace right this gift right cuz what did we what did we do to deserve any of that we didn't it was just it was just grace couldn't help but think of what paul says in ephesians 4 when he's talking about walk worthy of our calling right walk as a child of light and he says this do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, again, they were sealed for redemption. They're saved, but they're grieving the Holy Spirit. And the point is if you and I, as a believer who have touched of His grace, we, we, we've known Him, I, I mean, this really echoes Hebrews chapter six, taste of the heavenly gift, of, has been a We've seen the powers of the age to come. If we fall away, it's going to be impossible to renew us to repentance. And then remember, he gives that story. The story is of when God sends the rain to, to, to the earth, it expects, you know, God's expectation, everybody's expectation to bring forth a good harvest. But if all the land brings forth, there are thorns and thistles, it's good for nothing but to be burned. And we talked about that's not Hell. It's just simply, it is practically the way you restore land is you burn it and you burn up all the bad stuff. It puts nutrients back in so that ultimately there is. His point here is, is that there comes great consequence. And part of that consequence is physical destruction. He quotes from Deuteronomy here in verse 30 Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Now again, not just people, his people. And if you read that chapter, of course, Deuteronomy is kind of the final words of Moses, right? He he recaps, and then it's these final words as he's passing the baton to Joshua before he goes up and dies on Mount Nebo. And, And in Deuteronomy 32, what he's talking about here is You know, God's brought you out. God has kept you for 40 years in the wilderness. God's going to take you into the land. But if you turn from him, you walk in rebellion. You follow other gods. You do what I've told you not to do. I'm going to send pestilence, sickness, disease, why? Because I'm going to try to use that to pull you back. It's kind of where he's going in that next warning passage of Hebrews 12. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And every one that he calls a son, he, he scourges. So think, think with me about Paul as he writes to the believers at Corinth. Who he says, you know, I wanted to talk to you spiritual, but you're carnal right? They're celebrating this man in their church who is having an adulterous relationship with his stepmother. You get to chapter 6, and he talks about how there should be not immorality named among believers. In fact, if you go and join yourself to a prostitute, you're joining the temple of God. I mean, it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. So, so they're dealing with, with with sin. They're dealing with some open rebellion. And then you get to chapter 11. When he's talking about the table of the Lord, right? We come and we take communion. We remember Jesus' holiness and that he gave himself and he died for us. His blood was shed. And this is what he says For he who eats and drinks and eats and, drink, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you sleep. And by sleep, he doesn't mean you're taking a nap. And his point is this. As believers who have been saved by God's grace, when we come to the table of the Lord, the one thing that ought to remind us of the importance of walking in harmony with him. So the table of the Lord is not, I'm coming because I'm perfect. It's just simply, I'm coming, I understand grace. And so with a humble heart, if there's sin, I confess it. If there's point of repentance, I do that. But to rebelliously come and to remember what Jesus did because of my sin at the very time I'm walking defiantly in sin, judgment. Judgment. Why? Because God's trying to get our attention to bring us back. The second thing he mentions is that not only is it physical destruction, but it's also loss of reward. You, you, you've picked this up in um, verse 34. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession, a lasting one. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Folks, can I just remind you, what was promised? What was promised? What was promised was not eternal life. We were actually given that at the moment of salvation, because eternal life, is a relationship with God. That's not what was promised. What was promised was ruling and reigning with Christ. What was promised was reward. And his whole point here is, you know, y- y- you walk through the hard stuff, so, but don't throw away your confidence. Don't walk away in rebellion, for confidence and staying with the Lord brings great reward. You have a need for endurance, so that you'll get what was promised. Again, echoes back the last warning, chapter 6. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. His point is, but if you become sluggish, if you turn away, you walk in rebellion, you're going to miss the promises. I think it lines up perfectly with what John says in 2 John 1.8. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what you have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. I think that's the warning. These people have walked faithfully, but now that they're going to shrink back, if they are going to intentionally turn their back upon the Lord, they're going to lose their reward. So for you and I to walk in open known, ongoing rebellion. Man, there's huge cost to this. First of all, in this life physically, what is God going to do to try to get my attention? And secondly, in the life to come, it's the loss of reward. So he gives this challenge. You got the C's, right? The caution, the consequences, and the challenge. The challenge is found in verse 32. But remember, remember the former days when after being enlightened, you suffered a great conflict of sufferings, uh, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. His point is, remember, Remember that time when you first got saved, and now it was tough, man, because sometimes the Christian life is tough, and you face persecution. But God was faithful, and you ministered to one another, and it was good. God was faithful. Remember, build those stories of memorial in your life. Let me ask you, we've sung all about it today. Our God is faithful. Have you touched the faithfulness of God in your life? If you have, have you built those memorials in your life where you tell yourself the story, you tell your children your story, you share your story? Because it is those remembrances that now when life is tough and it's hard, that we think back to God's faithfulness. In fact, you know where he's going in Hebrews 11. He's going to tell us the stories of God's faithfulness from the Old Testament. It's why I love, absolutely love, the stories collective, the new podcast that we're doing here at the church, folks. I don't push stuff much, but if you have not downloaded it, it's not tough. It's it's simple. In fact, you bring it to me, I'll get it to somebody who can download it for you. It loads every Wednesday. It's so simple, it comes right to your phone. But week after week, what you get to hear is the memorialized story of God's faithfulness from somebody who's probably sitting next to you on your row, and they're encouraging. I'm encro- I've walked with Jesus for 50 years. Every every Wednesday when I listen to, it. in fact, yesterday I was actually doing the floors for my wife. There you go. I just lost my crown for that one, but I was doing my floors. But I was listening to a podcast and and. and it was, it was such a beautiful story of God's faithfulness. And I was just, I was blessed by it. Remember. Then the second thing he says is this. You got to persevere, right? That's uh, verse 36. For you have need of Endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Folk, it is tough sometimes, but we need to endure. We need to to understand that we've got to push on, not turn back. In fact, his next point is this, and how we do that is we fix our eyes on that day. He actually quotes here from Habakkuk. Verse 37, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, will not delay But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure. You know what? That's a verse that every one of you know, and you go, Well, why? Habakkuk. Because you've read it and read it and quoted it from Paul. The just shall live by faith. That's the passage. Did you know that it starts with verse 30, or verse 3? For the vision is yet not the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. Does that sound like a good word for today? We're waiting for Jesus to come back. The old days, we used to say, he tarries, right? There you go. There you got the word. It just... Fix your eyes on that day. The righteous will live by faith. We look toward that day when Jesus comes. We live for that day. We walk in faith even when it's hard here. Let me finish with this. It's verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith the preserving of the soul. Here's the reality folk every one of us who names the name of Jesus has a choice and I would argue we have a choice daily are we going to follow Jesus with our whole heart, walk in faith in the midst of whatever we're facing today or are we going to pull back are we going to choose to go the way of the world? I think that's why Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself daily, take up his cross, and follow me. It's a choice. Obviously, to pull back, there's incredible consequence to that. But to persevere in faith, that comes with great reward.